Isaiah chapter 42. We are still in our Chosen in Christ series. This is part number six. Sort of a carryover from last week on the same topic, and the subtitle is called Christ, Elect, and Precious. Let's start in verse 1, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He shall bring out justice to the Gentiles, or the nations. He shall not cry, nor lift up, or cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break. A smoking wick he shall not quench. He shall bring out justice to truth. He shall not fail or be discouraged until he has set justice in the earth and the coasts shall wait for his law. So says Jehovah God, he who created the heavens and stretched out them, spread out the earth and its offspring, he who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I, Jehovah, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand, and I will keep you, and give you for a covenant of the people, for the light of the nations, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am Jehovah, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold the former things that have come to pass and the new things that I declare before they happen, I cause you to hear. I will stop the reading there. Now, so far in this series, part one was an introduction to election, unconditional election. Part two was an overview of the character attributes of God. We talked about how we would be stressing sovereignty probably out of all those attributes. Part three was the biblical fact that God only chose some people to save. We kind of blew up that myth that everybody's chosen. Part four was God's divine sovereign right to work out and manifest his sovereignty in everything that he does. He has the divine sovereign right to show his sovereignty, to act out his sovereignty, to be sovereign. He's God, we're not, in other words. And uh, last week we looked at the fact that Christ himself was the one being chosen of the Father so, so we could be elect in him. And we're going to kind of carry over some more of those thoughts today about that. We saw that there's a lot of things connected to this. Everything that we've talked about in this series, everything's connected. You can't, uh, it's really, really hard to put things nice, square in categories because they, they blend so well and they're related to so many other things. We talked about last week how that in Christ being chosen as the elect, that we will be elect in, it deals with a lot of far-reaching things. It deals with, last week we just spoke to his humility under the Father and his condescending down as he you know, takes on flesh and becomes the God-man, his incarnation, him being a servant. 
and him coming to do the will of the Father. It's written in the volume of the book. Come to do thy will, O God. So we touched on some of those things. We also looked at the fact that he was given authority from his father. Remember, he, just like the Old Testament covenant, Old Covenant priests, they were not self-appointed. Couldn't just say, hey, I think I'll be a priest. You know, like a lot of these pastors today. Uh, I think I'm going to go to school and become a preacher. My papa was one. My dad was one. Therefore, uh, you know, it's obvious I'm going to be one. It's not the way it works. Christ was not self-appointed. And we'll talk more specific about that when we talk about, I think we'll get to it next week, talking about the covenant, the covenant of grace. We'll, we'll touch on it a little bit here this week, though. And we, and we already have mentioned it. But he was given authority over all flesh. Remember John 17, 2, I think it was. To give eternal life to as many as you have given me. Speaking of those that the Father gave him in election. He has authority over everybody. But to give eternal life to these that were chosen to have eternal life. So we're going to have more to say today about Christ being uh, the chosen one as being the head and representative of the elect people of God, the head of the church, things like that. We'll be addressing that some more. We're going to see how it's connected to the decree, the eternal covenant of God, uh, his love. All these things are connected. We want to first today start talking about the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the Father in seeing and knowing and knowing the qualifications of Christ because Christ is wisdom. We, we talked a lot about this last week, about how that Christ is the word, the eternal word of God. He's the logic of God. He's the wisdom of God. He is the one that expresses the Father to other people, his people. He is the one that's best suited to do that. He is the truth, so he's able to do that. He is the word. He is the prophet. So he is the one who is best suited, the best qualified, really the only qualified, to be able to communicate in truth and in logic and wisdom the Father, the Father's will, who the Father is, who himself, he himself is as the express image of the Father and everything in between, everything connected. So the Father, in other words, in his own wisdom says, this is the only one right here, the only one qualified. And he declares him as such. And he, he is begotten in that sense. Here he is. He's the one. I've chosen him. I've set my authority on him. I've given him authority. He can do this. He shall not fail. We already read it. He, is, he has the know-how. He himself is wisdom. He's logic. He's truth. So we'll um, see some of these things as we go along. And I want, you to, I want you to see this specific point. I brought this up. Some of you might have not been here when I brought this up more than once in the past. But it's a point that you need to, to get a hold of. It's helpful, I think. That knowing that God the Father, he's spoken of, the whole Trinity is spoken of as having wisdom. So here in this instance, we see 
activities of separate parts of the Godhead doing things with each other. The Father looks to Christ and chooses Christ. Now, that's not a haphazard choice. That's not a, a non-thinking choice. That is a choice that involves the Father's wisdom. We know the Father did not choose an angel, a human being, or any other sort of means, whatever could be contrived. We know that he did not do that. So there was thought involved. The mind of God, the heart of God comes out, exercised in his wisdom, knowing that Christ is the, only, the best and only suited one to do this most important task that magnifies his glory. You start to see the seriousness here. It is a task, and, and when it is accomplished, it will magnify the person of God more than anything that has ever or will ever in eternity magnify God. So this better be a good choice, right? So the Father, in his wisdom, says, here he is, right? So you guys seeing that, you could maybe look at the Father and say, you know, the Father has wisdom. We see all the character attributes the Father has. We see the Son has the same. Therefore, if the Father thinks this way, and I want to mention this to people that don't believe the gospel yet, you can see this clear, simple point that the Father has obviously chosen the Son. And if you're not converted, if you don't believe the truth yet, if you're waiting on something, there's one incentive. You can look to the Father and say, He's smarter than me. <laughs> He's got some wisdom. If, if He has confidence in the Son to get this done, he's staking his whole character on this person, this one person, the Son, to, uh, to accomplish this most magnificent, glorious thing where my glory is at stake. If he's trusting him to do that, why, why won't you? And those of us that believe, we can, <laughs> we can look at that now and say, that's a bigger deal than I thought. You know, it's it's more it's so much more glorious. And, and I'm so much more confident now seeing that he is the only one. The father is wise enough to do this. I trust the father's choice. The father, through the power of the spirit, has already given me the choice that I made to choose Christ, the irresistible grace. But now looking back on it, it's like it's kind of bolstered. You know, it's like, wow. The father gave me the grace to make the same choice that he did in Christ. The Father knows better than me, and, and the rest of our life we see what all that amounts to. The reason Christ was the one. That's what the whole ministry is about. It's glorifying God by, in, and through Christ. So I, I think it's a pretty good little nugget to have. So if you reject Christ, what you're saying is you're wiser than the Father. Do you have some other way? Christ was in on this, and you're telling Christ your way and your Father's way is stupid. And I'm going to create my own idol based on something I'm doing. You know what happens there. So Christ is qualified. He will not fail. He saves to the uttermost. And he is worthy of all honor and preeminence. We see in so many different texts, I think some today I have written down here, that, that the Father has set him forth. That, and that's the whole deal. That's When I always talk about him being set forth in preeminence, 
the last five minutes of what I've been talking about. This is what I'm talking about. So do you trust the wisdom of the Father in choosing Christ to be the representative? I mean, we, we go, those of you that vote, I know some of you gave up, some of you don't even think it's right to vote, but we go to elect representatives. And I know most of them aren't, <laughs> aren't worth being chosen. But this one, we just continue to see his representative power, his representative wisdom, just displayed all the time. We, we just continue to see it. He is the shepherd of the sheep. So as we see his wisdom, it should be a little bit more incentive and warning. Do not listen to the voice of a stranger. Because a stranger was not chosen by the Father. And we should be able to identify the difference. Go to John 644. Uh, if any of you have a hard copy Bible, keep your place in Isaiah. We're going to be coming back. John 644. Very familiar with this text. Three verses I want to look at. And it's kind of cool how that we always are coming back to certain texts. But every time we come to them, we look at them for a different reason. And this is, I think, one of those times. Verse 44. No man can come unto me. So it denotes inability. No one can come unto me. What, what did it say in Romans uh, 3? There's none that seeks after God. There's none that understands. This is why they don't, this is why they can't come to him. No one can come unto me unless, there's an exception, unless the Father who sent me, he's the one that sent Christ, chose him, set him forth, sent him to be the representative. His representative, by the way, we talked about that. He, this is God's Christ as well as our Christ. It's God's mediator as well as our mediator. God has to have a mediator to deal with us. Otherwise, he will just consume us. Unless the Father who sent me draw him. That's the only way a person can come to Christ, and it's by faith. The only way is if the Father who sent me will draw him to me. If that happens, I'll raise him up in the last day. So that's the only exception. So first of all, man is totally depraved. He's unable to come to God unless God gives the ability through the power of the Spirit. Of course, we know through the means of the preached word, these two things together are the means that bid his people, draw his people to come to Christ. And this implies that not everybody is drawn. Because whoever is drawn, they'll be raised up in the last day. If everybody's drawn, everybody's going to be raised up in the last day. If everybody's drawn, they're going to have faith, they're going to come to Christ. We know not everybody's drawn. Not all men have faith. We know that the wide way that leads to destruction, many or most are going that way. Now look at this, verse 45. It is written in the Old Testament, in the prophets. They shall all be taught of God. Therefore, because of that, Everyone who hears and learns of the Father, some versions say from the Father, of the Father, I don't think it matters. They come to me. They hear and learn of the Father. They come to me. So that goes back to that drawing thing. You can't 
come to Christ unless you've been drawn by the Father. Being drawn by the Father involves the means of being taught of the Father or by the Father or from the Father. Either way, there's means involved. Notice this. Christ, he's got the uh, market cornered on this thing here, right here. Not anyone has seen the Father except who is from the Father. He's seen, he's talking about himself. He's seen the Father. I'm the only one seen the Father. And I'll tell you about the Father. I'm the one that tells you about the Father. Get the stupid ideas out of your head about what you think the Father's about, what he looks like, what he says, how he thinks. I'm the one that communicates my job as prophet, priest, and king, as the word, as the logic of God, as the wisdom of God. I will communicate the Father. You guys have automatically weird ideas in your totally depraved state about who the Father is. You have idolatrous, crazy ideas. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. He's saying, I will deal with that issue. That's my job. Of course, the Spirit's involved in communicating that to the, the new heart. Let me quote a text here. Psalm 33, 11. Jehovah's counsel stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. So God, he has wisdom, knowledge, truth, logic. It uses language here that so we can understand about the, the heart, which is the mind of God. We see that all over the scripture. Who's known the mind of the Lord? You know, verses like that. His counsel. So what he has planned and purposed and decreed, it, it stands forever. And he knows what he's doing. And he's chosen Christ to be the mouthpiece to flow that out to people. And it's written in his word. And the spirit takes that word to our minds and renews our minds about it. And we make adjustments. That's how we grow and learn. Go ahead and go to John 1.1. I want us to see that the father in making this choice of Christ did so with an advantage over any angel or any of us. He was face to face. The Father was face to face with Christ throughout all eternity. There was union, communion, fellowship, love, knowledge. He was face to face. Look at this, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning... Was the Word, capital W, Lagos, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Word of God, the Son of God. And the Word was with God. The word with is pros, it means face to face. Fellowship, communion, intimate knowledge. And the Word was God. Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, always was God. Second person of the Trinity. He was in the beginning, again, same word, with God, face to face, eternally, with God. So what more uh, qualifications for the Father to be the chooser? Uh, seeing the qualifications of the Son as having eternal fellowship, face to face, had the advantage of everybody 
Well, I know who I'm going to choose. This one I've been face to face with throughout all eternity. I know he's got the qualifications. He's the one. I'm going to declare him as such. Verse 14, we know this as it uh, comes down. Verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what? We beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten from the Father. And Christ is full of grace and truth. So that incarnation, it starts to bring it our way so that we can see him, so that he can go to the cross, the chief purpose of all this, to glorify the Father through the cross. That's why he became flesh and dwelt among us, so that he could do the will of the Father and be a sacrifice for the sin of his people. So we've beheld his glory. A verse that, uh, go back to Isaiah 42, a verse that I quote a lot for a lot of different reasons, and I'll quote it again while you're turning to Isaiah, back to Isaiah 42. Because God who caused light to shine out of darkness has shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The front of him. This is a different word. It's not, it's not pros. It's related. It has part of that root in there. But it, it's the, the front. Remember? Uh, show me your glory. Okay, go ahead and I'll let you pass by. I'll let you see my hind parts, but I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and we can look at this one who you can see his face. This is the one, right? It's a mediator. You can't look upon God and live. Therefore, this one, you can see his face. Now, we've seen the glory of God in the face. Some people have seen his face, but they haven't seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His, his person. Now, back in Isaiah, the same language. Where do you think Paul got this language? Well, look in Isaiah 42 in our text, down in verse 6. I, Jehovah, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and keep you and give you for a covenant of the people for what? A light of the nations to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison who sit in darkness out of the prison house. Look at verse 16. I will make the blind go by a way that they did not know. I will make them go in paths they never knew. I will make darkness go into the light before them and the crooked place a level place. I do these things to them and do not forsake them. So we've been caused to, to see the light. We, we have light now through the, through the gospel. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by this light. So in other words, it's not, it's not mystical. It's not haphazard. It's not fatalistic. It's not, yeah, God did his thing. I have no idea what he did. And I guess we'll never know. But hey, sovereign, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> He tells us what's going on. He, he clues us in on it. And that's what our joy is. We are able to feed on what he did. We're not left in the dark. Look at Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Now, I'm wanting us to see how that this, this flows down from the mind of God eventually to our mind through grace so that we can see what he's done. You know, even if it's like parents doing something 
and then showing their kid, come here, little kid, let me, uh, boy, let me show you what I did here. I made you this thing here, and look how it works. And the kid's like, he's just blown away. What if I made that for my son or grandson and just to, yeah, shut the door, leave the light off. I made it, and <laughs> if a tree falls in the forest, nobody's there, do they hear it? Same thing. Are we? Am I just going to make something? And not show my glory in it. No. God displays his glory in the thing that's most important to him. Verse 24 of Matthew 11. But I say unto you. Now in the context, Christ is talking to these, these self-righteous people that are not believing. Some Judaizers. They're not, they're not believing. They're rejecting the gospel. And he says in verse 24, Matthew 11, But I say unto you, it's going to be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for you. Now, get your mind in this context. It's talking about these people that are rejecting the gospel. They would just as well would stone and kill the homosexuals. And he looks at them and he's pretty much saying, you're self-righteous. It's going to be more tolerable for the outward, immoral, open homosexuals that just flagrantly did whatever they did in Sodom. I burned it to the ground. Be more tolerable for them than it will be for you because of your self-righteous, gospel-rejecting attitude. In verse 25, he says, Answering at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hid these things from these, these self-righteous people, from the wise and the, and the cunning, I think King James says prudent, and revealed them unto babes. And here's an affirmation. Notice this. Yes, Father, so it seemed good in your sight. An acknowledgement of the sovereignty of the Father in hiding the truth from these people. Now, everybody's always saying, well, God wants everybody to be saved. It wants everybody to know the truth. He hid it from these people. And he thanked the Father. I mean, that's just like cherry on top. To make no mistake, I don't want to be confused here. He's quite, you know, he's, he's praying openly. I don't want to be confused here. I'm praying to the I'm thanking the Father for him not wanting to save these people, but blinding these people and hiding the truth from these people. Pretty clear. And he goes on and he adds more. Verse 27. And all these things were yielded up to me by my father. Kind of goes back to the John language here. No one knows the son except the father. Nor does anyone know the father except the son. And here's one of those exceptions again. And the one to whom the Son purposes to reveal him to them. That goes back to no man can come unto me except the Father would sent me draw him. And then talking about being taught of the Father. Here, it's God's purpose in the elect and the non-elect. He chooses to reveal himself to his people. And they know him 
And therefore, because they know him, they know the Father. Right? Come unto me, all you that labor. Not everybody. Just all you that labor. Have you been shown that you're, you're laboring? Uh, have you got a burden that you've been trying to get rid of? You've been trying to reconcile yourself to God? He says, I'll give you, I'll give you that kind of rest that will fix that. So God's people are the only ones that heed that call. So do we ever, my point here is uh, this morning, do we ever stop and give thanks to God concerning the sovereign grace of God, not only the purpose of it, not only his death, but letting us in on all of it, all of it that he sees fit that we should know, which is more than we can ever learn in a lifetime. He has revealed these things to us and demystified them. And you have certain groups and denominations that outright just say, this door shut, don't look in there, having to do with the things in the Bible. Don't even look in there. You, you can't understand them. And if you think you can look in there and understand, then you must be proud and haughty and a know-it-all. And uh, those type pastors and theologians would warn everybody, hey, stay away from this guy. He's, he's a know-it-all. And we're thinking, are you kidding me? This is some of the most basic stuff in the world. Look right here. Can't you see it? Well, I guess not. <laughs> see, that's the thing. They can't see it. They don't want to see it. They don't care to see it. I guess they don't think it helps them. I don't know. It's weird. Ephesians 3. Again, things that are hidden. God hides things on purpose. He gets glory out of hiding certain things and himself, the truth, his son. It's just the way he operates. We don't think that way naturally ourselves. We've seen some of this recently, but let's look at it again for the purpose of our subject. Ephesians 3 and verse 8. This grace was, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, this grace was given to me, and I, being less than the least of all the saints, I mean, do you think this is false humility Paul has seen here? No. Paul experienced this grace, and it affected his life in such a way that he saw, I'm unworthy. And the more truth he got, the more unworthiness he saw himself. Less than the least of all saints. He didn't boast about some kind of holiness that he had, personal holiness, or something that he had progressed and he's better than anybody else. What's his job? To preach the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ among the nations or the Gentiles. You know, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And it goes on, comma, and to bring to light all what is the fellowship of the mystery of having been hidden from eternity in God, the one who creating all things through Jesus Christ, so that now to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenlies might be made known, this mystery he's talking about, might be made known through the assembly, the manifold wisdom of God. That's what we started talking out today in our introduction about the wisdom of God. According to what? According to the eternal purpose which was accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access in confidence through his faith. So 
It's an eternal purpose. We see the wisdom of God in it. We know now what God's mind is. He's revealed his mind to us. What he's purposed to do, what he's going to do, who he chose, why he chose them, what this one is doing, what he has to do to redeem his people, and so on and so forth. So we see the decree, the purpose, the counsel, and the will of God has, has an end purpose. His glory. And we don't have to wait to see at the very end, oh, I see it glorifies God. We see that it glorifies God from start to finish. We need right now to start seeing every aspect of it glorifies God. So his glory, primarily the glory of God within God's own self. Trinitarian glory. How that, how that this purpose and this plan, it satisfies God. We're satisfied with it. We get, we get benefits. But it is the sacrifice of Christ is Godward. Doing the will of the Father, as far as Christ doing it, it's Godward. So this thing, God's faithful to himself. So he does this thing right. It's all about the glory of God. That's our primary concern. He's got to be a just God and a Savior to affect us properly. So the glory is primarily Trinitarian. Salvation satisfies God. When the Father pours out his wrath on Christ because of sin imputed to Christ, he does it in a just way and he exercises his wrath. And that's the only place his wrath is ever satisfied is right there on the cross. And then he makes known his glory to his adopted children. That's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. We're learning every day about his glory. We see his glory. So in other words, it's not fatalism. There's a purpose. The one who has declared the end from the beginning has a purpose. It's to show his glory from the end to the beginning. Go to First Peter. I think we had read this at the very end last week and we didn't talk much about it. We just read it. Sort of a parallel passage. Uh, Peter talks about Isaiah 42. In He quotes Isaiah 42 in here, parts of it. So we're going to look here and uh, see some sovereignty of God, see the death of Christ, see some things that um, should be important to us. 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver or gold, from your vain manner of life, handed down from your traditions of your fathers. Silver or gold, that's corruptible. Some people are thinking, man, I can't wait to get to heaven, man. Streets of gold, gates of pearl. You know, think about all these things. It says here it's corruptible. It's just language is showing, you know what, uh, gold's better than dirt. Well, we got dirt now. That's not the issue. Just comparatively, it's going to be a lot better than quality of life. Right? Gold is corruptible. If you're concentrating on streets of gold, quote unquote, you're missing the boat. But, verse 19, here's what we're redeemed with. Do you want to compare gold to this? Give it a shot. We're redeemed with the precious, remember, elect, precious, this one, Christ. The precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or without spot. 
you know, they refine gold into the fiery furnace and they get out certain type qualities of gold, different carat levels or whatever. I don't know anything about it. I don't have enough money to mess with any of that stuff. But the different levels of refining have to do with purity. Doesn't compare here. Christ is the pure one. The lamb without blemish or without spot. There was no refining that needed to be done in the first place. He was already this way. That's why the Father chose him. Verse 20, indeed, having been foreknown, Christ, before the foundation of the world, the Father foreknew him, ordained him, set his affection on him, and ordained him, and had this relationship face-to-face -face with him from all eternity, having set him apart, sanctified him in that sense to say, this is the only one, and then consecrated him. And we're going to look at a lot of other type things in the, in the covenant part, as far as uh, sending, anointing, things like that. But this is the one. And now we know, because it says, but revealed in the last times for you, believers that Peter's writing to. And if you didn't understand, he says it right here. Those believing... In God through him. There's a faith is a gift verse. Who raised him up from the dead. Remember some of that language that I've been talking a lot about lately. About how faith comes in that same power that raised him from the dead. Here's a, another testimony of that. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. He exalted him. Remember where he's at. He's in the highest position. Ephesians chapter 1, toward the end, it says he's in the highest position because of what he accomplished. That he will, anybody can ever be in this world or the world to come, and it, nobody can ever get that high. Ever. Never have, never will. In any world, galaxy, universe, or I don't know all space terms, he, that's it. He's the peak, preeminence. And then why? Raising him up from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope your your expectation, confident expectation, might be in God. What does that do when you see that? Verse 22, purifying your souls. The, the word purifying has to do with sanctifying, setting in your mind, setting yourself apart because of the truth. That's what the truth does. Sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. The truth sets our minds apart from the minds of the world that hate God. We used to hate God. But he convinced us, gave us life, and set our mind apart so that we're not enemies anymore. We've been reconciled. So our minds have been purified, and, and then we continue through the word to renew our minds daily and grow in grace. I'm not talking about progressive sanctification, somebody becoming, get a thicker halo or a more glowing halo, and they sin less every day, and they get more holy, so much so that you can't stand to be around them. Most of those people are that way. They eventually find out they can't stand to be around themselves. They isolate people with accusations of the other people not being as holy as they are. But the word of God sets us apart and points us away from ourselves to the one. It's what the word continually does. And if we are walking in the spirit, the spirit continually testifies of Christ, not how good we're doing. The scripture testifies we're not doing that well. 
And the Spirit keeps saying, Christ, Christ, Christ. Doesn't point us back to the schoolmaster. We're not married to the schoolmaster. We're married to Christ. Purifying your souls in the obedience of the truth. How? Can't do it on your own. It's irresistible grace. It's through the Spirit to unfeigned love of your brothers, to love one another fervently out of a pure heart. You look to these, these ones that used to be the enemies of God, just like yourself. You say, hey, there's somebody just like me, a sinner saved by grace. We sang the song a while ago. And, and it's so rare to find one, right? So rare to find a sinner saved by grace. Because everybody else, they're saved by some other way. Grace plus works. Because that's all comes out of the mouth. Blah, 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 blah. What I do, what I've done, what I plan on doing to get at some higher level. And you're not doing enough over there. So you're not going to make it. I can't consider you a brother because you're not as holy as me. I mean, we spent all of our lives getting out of that crap. And when we find one that, that looks to the one, we say, ah, it's a match. Match.com. <laughs> I found a brother in Christ that needs a savior just like me all the time. Not just on your bad days, but on your best days, on your self-righteous days. <laughs> That's when you need him most. That's when you can't see him. Because you're blinded by your own several beams, telephone poles that may be jammed in your eyeballs. Now look, verse 23, here's what did this for you, part of the means. Having been born again, because before we were dead. Been born again, how? Not of, he gives a negative. You know, he goes up and he talks about before about gold is corruptible. Now he talks about here about corruptible, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through, by the means of, the living word of God, abiding forever. He goes back to total depravity. All flesh is grass, and the glory of men is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word preached as the gospel to you. It's come your way. These are the means that's purified your souls. Verse 22. It's come your way. This eternal purpose that's been planned and talked about and schemed and has power behind it has come your way. You cannot do anything about it. I don't know if you knew that's going to happen to you, but you were defeated by him giving you life. Aren't you thankful? Irresistible grace. He gave you a new heart. He took away what you thought you had, your so-called free will, and he gave you a new heart to see nothing but Christ. And it was like automatic. The jail cell door was swung open. And you didn't say like, man, what am I going to do here? <laughs> Gone out of the jail. We, we just talked about these quotes out of Isaiah about those that are in prison and blindness. Their eyes were open. They saw the path out, out of yourself, out of your self-righteousness, 
out of your law keeping to recommend yourself to God, out of your dead works and the one straight in front of you, the one that accomplished redemption on the cross, you cling to him irresistibly. And that's where your faith rests right there. And all this was predetermined. Let's go to Acts 2. Acts 2. We'll end with this here. So I guess today, part of what I've done and wanted to do is bring the eternal down to the now and show that they're connected. And it's going to be brought down from the purpose to flowing through, bringing it to to us so that we can know and understand. And that's part of the purpose of God. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. All the Father gives me shall come to me. He that comes to me, I will know I was cast out. Acts 2, 22. Men, Israelites, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man proved of God. All right, right there, stop. That's what we were talking about. He's chosen, elect, precious. You know he's approved, right? God chose him. And he's approved by him by showing this sign back then by powerful works, wonders, and miracles, which God did through him in the middle of you. As you yourselves know, you also know this. This one that I'm talking about that did all this is given to you by the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This one you've taken by wicked hands and crucified him and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And we know why, because he accomplished that redemption by his sacrifice and it was approved of the father. The father, of course, knew it was going to be approved because he's, he chose him the only one that could do that. And he rose from the dead. He used these people's wicked hearts as a means to get him to the cross and the sham trial, all that thing. These different groups conspired together to bring him to there so he could mount up on the cross and be this predetermined sacrifice from all eternity. What did it say in another passage about if these these one the spiritual the, the demonics in high places if they knew that this was the plan of God they wouldn't have done it they wouldn't have crucified him they thought well we're getting rid of him God said no this is the plan you're gonna we're gonna use you to put him up there to accomplish my purpose my thoughts are not your thoughts God's wisdom to the world is foolishness and he uses the, the weak things the debased things to get his Purpose accomplished. Us, we're weak. We're not uh, mighty necessarily. All right, I'm going to stop there. We're going to look, uh, I'm going to start out next week. We're going to talk about the covenant. And I'm going to read, probably in the introduction, I'm going to read um, Proverbs 8, probably the whole chapter, talking about wisdom, Christ himself being wisdom. And then we'll talk about the covenant, the everlasting eternal covenant of grace that, that was the Trinity.
before the foundation of the world. And we'll, we'll start to see some of the covenant language that has to do with our election and our redemption. And then as we, we go through that, we'll start to look at who, what, when, where, and why of the, of the covenant. We'll talk about the promises, the terms, conditions, and promises of the covenant, which had nothing to do with us as far as fulfilling them. It's about what Christ has to do. We'll talk about the promise of salvation condition on Christ alone. And um, we'll look at how that uh, these things from the decree all the way to the very end, how that it is all harmonious and it all matches. We've talked about that before, how that nothing changes from different ones involved in the purpose all the way through from start to finish. Nothing changes. It's all the same. It all stays the same. Nothing, nothing changes in the well, it was supposed to work this way, and we got here, we'll say, ah, it's going to be different now. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not like that. It's all the same all the way through. We'll look at that a little bit uh, closer next week. All right, any questions or comments? Okay, so in John 3.16, um, a lot of times we are automatically <clears throat> concerned about who, who, in the world he's talking about for God talking about the Father I'm looking at Isaiah 42 6 yeah we're getting there for God so loved the world that he gave his son the one spoken of in verse 1 my elect that whosoever believes on him and uh, we in verse 6 is those are the whosoever's that will believe on him Nations is is pretty much related to. I know it's a Hebrew word. I could look it up here, but here is not limiting to the Jewish community, and that's why Christ, of course, is talking to Nicodemus in John three, who is a Pharisee, and the Pharisees, of course, were the top dogs among Judaism, and they were the most probably the proud and haughty, and said, "Salvation's of the Jews only," and you can go through the proselyte process, but you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops and it's will dictate it how it works. And Christ is saying, you know, Christ knew about the, he, he's the mediator of the new covenant. So he's come to wipe all that away anyway, right? So he's, he's in John three, bringing it down to faith in him, mediator of the new covenant. And he's kind of wanting to squish that whole idea anyway. It's time. He's the reformer. Here he is on earth. He's, he's saying, that's going away. I'm the, I am the one that all that typified. You guys, Pharisees, you didn't even see that anyway. You know, uh, you say, believe in me. Moses wrote to me. You say you're claiming Abraham's seed. <laughs> you got no idea. You're of your father, the devil, and on and on. So the word, the word here nations life to the nations is i think could be seen universally as well as separate from the jews either one it's the word world in john three sixteen. cosmos is going outside of the jewish community every kindred tongue tribe and nation so he says that more than once in in the context of uh, isaiah 42 up there, especially early on, he talks about in verse one to bring out justice to the nations or the Gentiles. 
And then it talks about, I thought it said it even a third time. I know um, I, I stopped the reading in uh, 9. I think some of that other chapter, I think he at least one other time mm-hmm. talked about either use the word world, heathen, nations, or Gentiles, you know, that that idea of outside the Jews, more than the Jews. So the Armenian or conditionalist Catholic, semi-Pelagian, Pelagian, whoever that wants to make it a conditional merit-based thing by your free will faith, they look at the word or the phrase whosoever, and they make it conditional in the sense that it automatically means universal, which it doesn't. Whosoever believeth on him, first of all, there's, we know most won't. So whoever doesn't mean you. There's a song called Whosoever Meaneth Me. I don't know if you might have heard that or not. But it's, a, it's, a, it's imposing a universal, just like the universal death of Christ, the universal love of God, the universal desire for all men to be saved they apply that to that verse to make everybody on even playing ground to where god is unfair to make a distinction between the vessels of wrath versus the vessels of honor and it can be easily twisted and people can easily fall for it and we know a lot of passages are that way to keep people blinded and god blinds some people says God's not the author of confusion. He sends strong delusion to the non-elect so that they might believe a lie and be damned. So some people might say, well, how come it's not really clear where, because that verse fakes a lot of people out. I mean, we just talked about it, why it's not that clear. It's not, it's not clear because people have that nature of this so-called fairness and to misapply a verse and say this this is not this is not qualified to only mean a certain amount of people basic english will tell you whosoever believes rules out whosoever doesn't believe right but the armenian mindset infuses this idea i can believe everybody can believe god wants everybody to believe all those things are pushed in there What's that text to mean something else? And at the end of the day, as they say, if it means what they say it means, we have no hope. <laughs> if we were if we revert back to conditionalism, any type of meritorious thing where it depends on our ability to see something, do something, anything to do with our how we deal with our sin. You know, in, in other words, any religion that twists man's total depravity, man's inability, and God's grace, because they've got to twist both, it just me- it messes the whole plan of God. It's like we're talking about this plan from decree all the way to the end. From the purpose of God before the foundation of the world to at the end, when we look at what's spoken of in Revelation where everybody is laying prostrate at the feet of Christ, worshiping him forever, everything in between has to be sovereign grace. And if there's stuff in the middle, it has to do with, now here's a spot where you, it's it's depending on you. And if you don't do this right here, this way, conditionally, 
for a certain amount of time, and it's got to be sincere. I mean, uh, you know, different denominations have a different list of things to do. We're done. We can't. It's just like uh, Galatians. Paul says, don't, you don't hear what the law is saying, do you? You don't hear it. Why? Because some of them couldn't. Because the natural man is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Because they have a carnal mind. They're not walking in the spirit. They're walking in the flesh. The fleshly mind wants to make things conditional. And when they make things conditional, and everything hinges on something that they do, they can get in the boasting seat, and they can take credit, what our texts say, I will not share my glory with another. I won't do it. No exceptions there. Did I answer some of... Um, yeah, I was thinking that as, as uh, Christ began his ministry there and began talking to Nicodemus that he's got all the, the Isaiah kind of stuff in his, in his head, right? As he begins to talk to the people who have don't have Isaiah in the way that it's meant to and so, for God so loved the world, I thought maybe this 642 or 42.6 really tied in to that, to that being here. I'm telling you about the Old Testament, and, and you're not able to hear or understand. And, and it goes, it's really beyond the whole media side of for God so loved the world that whosoever. It's more about you know, this part. This part of I'm already telling you this is it's already it's already refined it's already uh, what's the word limited it's already limited here's here's the limitation as just as soon as I read this I just thought about John three sixteen and the and the regards of the world and I thought this is it I mean that's my thoughts yeah yeah.